to the Mustard Seed Church. Uh, my name is Wayne, and I'm the lead pastor here. And this is our uh, final week in our sermon series of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so for the last two weeks, we've looked at the first one being the world, the second one be, being the flesh. And as you can guess, today we're talking about the devil. And uh, it's interesting because this is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. We don't have it on the screen, but I'll just read it to you of where this idea comes from in the New Testament of the three enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, I'll just read it. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So he mentions the world, now he mentions the flesh. Carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when you read that, it's, he, he talks about uh, being people of the world, uh, sort of submitting to the spirit of the air, which is the devil, and being driven away by our passions of the flesh. And this is what the New Testament writers call the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so it's an interesting thing when it comes to having discussions around the devil is that most of us probably are in some different place or space in terms of what we think about when it comes to the devil. For some of us, the devil is in everything, right? You're running late to work. You're catching all red lights on the way there. And you're like, it's the devil. I know it. Right. And for some of us, we probably don't even think maybe the devil is actually real. Maybe it was something that was made up when humans were. And, and this is the thought is when humans were not as smart as we are today, the devil was made up to sort of comfort us for the evil that's happening in the world. Wherever you might be at, whatever your thoughts might be, uh, I would think that we would probably all agree on these experiences that we have for us that either one, feel like a spiritual attack, uh, two, feels like spiritual warfare in our relationships and in our family. I know for me, if I'm just being vulnerable with you, there are times that my wife and I are in arguments or disagreements, and there's this sense of like, man, this doesn't feel like... Uh, just a normal disagreement. It feels like there's some, somebody behind the scenes that's kind of stirring the pot is what it feels like. Have you, have you ever experienced that? I mean, some of the relationships. Some of it, some of the experiences that we can have is a spiritual attack on our faith. It feels like, gosh, for whatever reason, uh, these thoughts come to me or these feelings come to me that the Lord is distant from me, that he's not pleased with me. Have anybody experienced that? Probably so. Or thoughts come to our mind, and I've had questions about this with people before. Thoughts come to our mind that we're like, okay, that doesn't seem like God. And that doesn't seem like myself having that thought. But this thought kind of comes from somewhere that just doesn't, it feels a little dark and maybe even a little, gosh, why am I thinking that? Thoughts that come to our mind. These are some of the experiences that all kind of people can feel when it comes to what we would call um, attacks from the, the devil or evil or the enemy or whatever that might look like. So, does some of that resonate with you? Some of those spiritual attacks, some of those spiritual warfare, some of those thoughts that come into your mind. So today, uh, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at God's word and see what Jesus has to say about the devil and how he is an enemy of our soul. 
So we're just going to go straight to the word and we're like, Lord, what do you say about the devil that is true that we can, that we can sort of hang our hat on in terms of the devil being the enemy of our soul? And so if you have your Bible or you can follow us on the screen, we're going to be in John chapter 8, verse 31. And something that we love to do is would you stand with me as we read the word? So the reason why we do this is just because we just we love God's word. And it's a, it's a it's a way to posture and position ourselves in reverence to the word of God. So let's read John chapter eight, verse thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because of my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. Nope, I, this, I missed it. All right, verse 41. You are doing the works of your you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, "We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God." Jesus said to them, "If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word." Verse 44, and this is where we'll hang out for the rest of the day. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin if I tell you the truth? Why do you not believe me? Verse 44, I read a little further. So this is the word of the Lord. Would you have a seat, please? As you can probably see in this text, man, there's a lot going on there, huh? There's Jesus, just to give you a little context, Jesus is having this confrontation with the Jews and with the religious leaders. And it's interesting some of the things that they say because if you know Hebrew history, Jewish history, one, they say we've never been enslaved to anyone, which if you read the book of Exodus... In slavery for 400 years, okay? So I don't know what they're talking about that. The other one is, is that uh, they sort of take a little shot at Jesus in this text because they say, at least we know who our father is. And what they're doing there is they're, they're sort of taking a shot at Jesus because uh, Joseph wasn't his father but was born from the spirit by God through the Virgin Mary. And so there's been rumor going around that, G that he doesn't even know who his actual father is. That it's not Joseph. And so they sort of take a little shot at Jesus of saying, well, at least we know who our father is. 
And so, but you see in this context, in this story, there's a lot of, if you picked up on it, a lot of language between truth, truth and lies. Jesus says a number of times that if the truth were in you or if the, or if the son of God was in you, the truth, you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. There's all this sort of language that is happening there. And so today, as we go through the text, we got three observations that we're going to make from this passage. Three observations. The first one is... Uh, the devil. The first observation is the devil. And you probably heard Jesus mention that. He says that uh, you are of the father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. The observation that we can take from this text is that for Jesus, the devil is real. For Jesus, the devil is real. He's not some imagery, some imaginary, fictional character, not a myth, not some sort of red cartoon on Match.com, right? Did you see that commercial with the devil and 2020 getting together? No, you didn't see that? Okay. So he's not some sort of red cartoon or some mythical character or anything like that. But for Jesus, the devil is real. The Greek word in this text for, di- for, the, for the devil is diablos. Diablos. Which you would you'd probably get Diablo and all this other stuff, right? Diablos. And it means to slander or to accuse. To accuse. When we look through the Bible, there are certain names that are given to the devil in reference to him. The first one is Satan, or in Hebrew it's Satan. Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver... The great dragon who deceives the world, the ancient serpent who leads the world astray. So as we look all throughout the scripture, all of those names, some form or fashion, the devil is referenced 65 times all throughout scripture. So for Jesus, the devil is real. And all through the various names through scripture, one of, the, one of the things that remains the same again is that the devil is real. And now this is the opposite of what we see in our world today. In multiple studies done over many years, whether it's the Barner Group or Pew Research or whatever it might look like, uh, the question was asked that is the devil real? And they went around, the Barner Group and Pew Research went around asking Americans, is the devil real? 45% of them said no. That he's some sort of fictitious character that's either made up or just the symbol of evil. But he's not actually real. Dr. Phil Zuckerman, who's a professor of psychology and sociology and uh, secular studies at Pitzer College. He wrote an article in Psychology Today titled, The Devil? Seriously? And this is what he says about it. We have his quote for you on the screen. He says, how can people seriously believe in the devil? The year is 2015, not 1315. And yet the fact remains that tens of millions of Americans continue to believe that there is a magical, wicked, evil, oh, and smart being out there doing magical, wicked, evil deeds and presiding over a fiery realm where demons crawl and witches cackle. Oh, wait, no cackling witches, just demons, right? He goes on to say, how can anyone with even a basic knowledge of history and psychology and science and anthropology and mythology and logic believe that there's an immortal evil being running around doing evil things. It's so absurd as to be pathetic. Things that are utterly and completely imaginary. And he ends by saying this. There are many joys of being secular. 
but also some downsides. And one is that you have to live in a world where presidents and judges, professors and doctors, road scholars and engineers, not to mention your neighbors and colleagues, believe that they believe things that are utterly and completely imaginary. And he ends with, and with horns, no the less. See, for him, the devil is not real. But when we look at Jesus, Jesus would say otherwise, that we do have an enemy of our soul. For many, the evil that we experience in our world is attributed to many other things than what the, 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 what the Bible would call the devil. For some, the evil that we experience is just because life happens. That you're sort of in the wrong place at the wrong time and call it bad timing or bad luck, but that's some reasons for evil. For some, the evil that we experience is because of fate or karma or universe or the universe as though sort of the universe has spoken and it's the end all be all sort of thing for why some evil happens in the world. For some, the evil that we experience is because of evolutionary process of nature pushing back against humanity. That we've sort of overpopulated the earth so much and now human nature, mother nature is fighting back. And that's the reason why we experience some of the evil in the world. For some, the evil that we experience is because of the systems and structures that humans have put into place. And this is reason why. But for none of them, they say that we have an enemy of our soul. None of them. For them, the devil is just an imaginary, fictitious character. Something that we've made up when we were less smarter human beings. But now we've sort of evolved to where none of, we don't believe any of that anymore. But when you look at the Bible, for Jesus, the devil is real. And there's a quote by a French poet. His name is Charles Baudelaire. He writes this in 1864. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. See, for Jesus and the New Testament writers, they make it clear that we have an enemy of our soul. That there is a real being, the enemy of our soul, called the devil. And he's not just a myth or a symbol or some fictitious character that humans made up to comfort themselves. But that you and I actually have an enemy of our soul. That there is a spiritual being that doesn't want to see us experience life and life abundantly. And for most of the world, 45%, at least in our culture, believe that this is just made up and not real. John Mark Comer says this in his book, Live No Lies, which is what we're kind of talking with this sermon series with hand in hand. This is the book here. If you want to read it, it's absolutely wonderful. He says, but consider this. What if Jesus knew the true nature of reality better than we do? What if his perception was even more acute than that of Stephen Pinker or Sam Harris or Stephen Hawking? What if he was the most intelligent teacher to ever live and his insight into the problems and solutions of the human condition is the most piercing to date? And he goes on to say, and Jesus knew the devil was real. Think about that. If we look at Jesus and we say he's the most intelligent human being, the most emotionally mature human being that's ever walked the earth, the most uh, in touch with reality and the spirit world and the dimensions and all, however you want to live. If he was the most intelligent human being that's ever walked the earth and he knew the devil was real. 
You and I have an enemy of our soul. The second thing that we see that we're going to highlight, the second observation is the devil and destruction. As you read the text, John 8, 44, he says, you are, your father, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. Check this out. This is what he says. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He was a murderer from the beginning. The devil and destruction. This theme of the devil and destruction is found all throughout the New Testament. I want to read a couple of passages to you. We don't have them on the screen, but I'll read a couple of them. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. John 10, 7 through 10 says, The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. For Jesus, and John Mark Homer says this in his book. I think we have it on the screen. He says, for Jesus, the devil is the archetype of a villain who is hell-bent on destruction. He just wants to watch the world burn. His motto, tear it all down. Wherever, wherever he finds life, he tries to stamp it out. Beauty, deface it. Love, corrupted. Unity, fragment into a million pieces. Human flourishing, push it to anarchy or tyranny. Either will do. His anti-life, pro-death, pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire. The devil and destruction. And Jesus would say that he is a murderer from the beginning. Now, many New Testament scholars believe that Jesus is making this statement when he says a murder from, a be from the beginning. He's referencing the book of Genesis all the way to the beginning. And if you read the story, the book of Genesis, the Adam and Eve are created by God and it's very good. And he places them in the garden and he says not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so Satan shows up as a serpent and tempts Eve and Adam and they both eat. And when that happens, this is the destruction that they're talking about, how he's a murderer from the beginning. When that happens, there is now distance between uh, humans and creation. There's now destruction between humans and creation. There's now destruction between humans and one another. There's now destruction between humans and God. And those relationships, all of them are fragmented. And this is what Jesus is referencing, that he's a murderer from the beginning. This is who the devil is. And it sort of reminds me of my own story in construction. If some of you know me, and I told that story a couple of months ago, taping and painting a house is not uh, ideal for me, right? It's not an ideal job. And so when I was in Durango, I started working construction. And every day, this guy would have me tape a room and then paint the room and then pull all the tape off. You ever pull tape off after you paint it and then it like pulls the paint off with it? And then you got to do it again? It's the worst, Right? So I absolutely hated doing that job because I'm not like detail-oriented like that. That's why Brittany LeBrin, she's like our admin over the church because she's like, she keeps me in line. You get what I'm saying? Because I'm just not detail-oriented like that. But one day I came in and he said, I'm like, all right, I got my tape. I got my paint. He's like, no, nah, you're not taping and painting today. I'm like, well, what am I doing? So you see this wall right here? I'm like, yeah. 
He says, we've got to take it down. And something in me came alive. And he gave me a sledgehammer. And I was like, just this wall. You sure? Like, not that one either or this one. He's like, no, just this one, you know. And I mean, something in me was like born again. And I went to town on this wall with a sledgehammer. And it was so life-giving, right? It was so life-giving. And then I finished in there, and he's like, hey, this porcelain tub in the bathroom, we can't get it out. It's too big. It's too tight of fit. So I was like, what do you want me to do? He's like, we just got to bust it out of there. And I was like, say no more. <laughs> say no more. I got, hit, I got earmugs, you know, and then glasses, and I'm just sitting there like, ah, you know, and just do destruction everywhere. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and then the, the hard part after was just cleaning it all up after that because just stuff was everywhere, you know. But this reminded me of like, this is, this is who the devil is. He's hell bent on destruction. And he gets so much enjoyment out of it. To see destruction between humans. To see destruction between us and God. To see destruction between us and creation. It's who he is. It's what he wants. And he wants the same for us. That we would have fragmented relationships in our life. That relationships would be strained and torn apart. Have anybody ever experienced that? A relationship in your life strained or torn apart. He loves it. He wants us to struggle in our faith. He wants us to doubt God, to not trust in God. He loves it. He wants us to try to be our own God. You just do it. Don't wait on God. Don't pray and wait. You do it. He loves it. He wants us in our marriages to struggle. He's hell-bent on destruction. And Jesus would say he's a murderer from the beginning. This is who he is. You and I have an enemy of our soul. I hope you feel that this morning. That we have an enemy of our soul who wants to see destruction in our life. And the third and final point that we have is the devil and deception. The first one is the devil and destruction. The second one is the devil and deception. Jesus says when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil and deception. A couple of things to highlight from this text, which I thought was just so intriguing for my own personal study. He says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. That word character there, like a different translation for it is nature. He speaks out of his own nature when he lies. That's who he is. And the definition for this word, this word character or nature is one's own self. So essentially what the New Testament is writing, what Jesus is saying is this is the devil's identity. His one's own self, his nature, his character is to lie. The second thing that we see is uh, Jesus says that 
uh, the devil brings about this destruction through lies. He said he was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't know the truth. He's the father of lies. This destruction that is brought about, the devil does it through deception and through lies. As you read the passage, you see this real tension between truth and lies. And Jesus is combating these religious leaders because they believed. This is why there's so much tension is because the religious leaders believe the lies over the truth. They believe the lies over the truth, the devil and deception. So for many of us, there are a couple of routes that we can go when we think of spiritual warfare with the devil. One is we think spiritual warfare and the devil only in terms of demon possession and illness, etc., etc. So for some of you, what, what came to mind as I was writing this was my mind went to the movie, 1973 horror movie called The Exorcist. Demon possession, illnesses, dark and heavy. And for some of us, when we think of spiritual warfare, that's what we think of. The second route that we can take is, again, I said it earlier, is that the devil is in everything. I remember in Louisiana, I was at the bank, and this woman, the bank was trying to print something. It wouldn't come out of the printer. And this woman went up to the printer, and she was like, I mean, as loud as can be, she was hitting the printer and laying her hands on it and said, devil be gone in Jesus name. And she was casting out a demon out of a printer. And I'm sitting there like, I don't think that's how it works. You know? <laughs> but for some, that's like a route that we can go to where again, the devil is in everything. Or another route that we can go when it comes to spiritual warfare is that, uh, this is just an example, this is not for me personally, but you and your wife get in an argument on the way to church. Okay, okay, I see. You and your wife get in an argument on the way to church. And for, for some, they could say, man, the devil made me do it. And it's like, no, maybe you were just stressed out and you were rushing out the door and you was a jerk to your wife. That's just the reality, right? So there's all these different routes that we can go with spiritual warfare and the devil. But what we see from this text from Jesus is that the devil's go-to signature move is deception. His go-to signature move off the top rope into the ring on top of us is deception. If you're into WWE and all that kind of stuff. His go-to signature move is deception. And a great example of this is John 13 too, And we have it on the screen for you. And this is Jesus' interaction with them in the upper room. And uh, what happens is, is thir John 13, verse 1 through 2. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, where am I at? To the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So here we have this. Let's leave that up there real quick, too. So here we have Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. He knows his time's coming to an end. And he looks and he says, uh, this is the time where the devil has already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. The definition for this word heart that we see in the text is this. It's the soul or mind as it is the fountain and seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. 
the heart is the soul or mind as it is the fountain and seat of thoughts, passions, and desires. For Judas here in his mind, at the core of who he is, he believed the lie. It says the devil put it in his heart, in his thought, in his mind, in his passions, in his desires. Judas believed the lie. And this is the same battlefield for me and for you. Where deception hits us the most in our mind and in our thoughts and in our passions. This is why Paul says in Romans, not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because this is our battlefield. See, in philosophy, the word truth means whatever lines up with reality. That's what truth means. Whatever lines up with reality. And so the truth for me and you today is that you are a part of the Mustard Seed Church family. Would we say that's reality right now? Truth lining up with reality. You are a part of the Mustard Seed Church family. The truth for you today is that you are highly valued, one of a kind, made in the image of God. That's true. The truth for you today is that you are deeply loved by God. Deeply loved. That's true. These are the truths that line up with reality. And where deception comes in with the battlefield of our mind and our soul and our passions and our desires. And the devil wants us to believe the lie over the truth. He wants us to believe the lie over the truth. For us, he tries to change our reality. If truth lines up with reality, he wants to change our reality by deception and by lies. And so the lie for me and you is, you have no purpose. You have no purpose. He has no plan for you. For many of us, we believe that. The lie for me and you is that you are alone. No one cares. Yeah, they say you can belong before you believe. Yeah, they say you're part of the Mustard Seed Church family. He's like, no one cares. You're alone. He wants you to believe the lie. The lie is for you to take things into your own hands rather than trust in God. If you take things into your own hand, your life will be so much better. You'll get so much accomplished. You'll check the to-do list box like crazy. The lie is that you should divorce your wife and find someone else that you would be happier with. Or your husband. You're not really happy there. End it. Find someone else. It's greener on the other side. He wants you to believe the lie over the truth. And these are all the lies. The devil in deception, it's who he is. It's what he does. Getting us to believe lies over truth in order that to see destruction in our life. His end goal is to destroy you. And he does that through deception. 
You and I have an enemy of our soul. And my hope this morning was that you would feel the weight of that. So as we close, what hope do we have? If you're hearing this this morning, you're like, golly, Wayne. What happened with all the God loves you stuff? He does. He does. But for Jesus, the devil's real. And he says he's a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy and see destruction in your life. The temptations that you have, maybe you struggle with addiction and you're battling it the best that you can and you feel this desire to rise up, to take a drink or to take a hit. Who you, where do you think that comes from, that temptation? In your weakest moments. We have an enemy of our soul.